this week I asked Google for a definition. I don't know where it gets its definitions, but why would I question it? So I asked Google for a definition for the term group hug. Group hug is an instance, there's a definition, an instance of three or more people embracing one another simultaneously, typically to provide support or express solidarity. Sometimes you feel like you could use a group hug. Why? Well, I suppose there's lots of reasons, and there are many reasons. Uh, but uh, one of those would be you might need support because something's not right. You need your friends together around you. Something went wrong, maybe because of you, maybe because of someone else. You've got some bad news. Or maybe you've got a string of bad news. But life is not going according to plan. Life has gone wrong. There is hardship. There is disaster. Now think of this. Whenever you reach out to that group for the group hug, there's nobody there. They're gone. You're alone. For whatever reasons, not only have things gone wrong in your life, but the people that you thought were supposed to be there for you to come alongside and help you, they're nowhere to be found. So you're going about your business with whatever hardship, bad news, suffering, pain, anxiety, whatever it is you're going through, you're trying to get some people's attention. You're, you're kind of dropping hints into the conversation about what's going on. People aren't noticing. Your conversation is all but begging people to come along and help you. Nothing. Nobody's paying attention. Nobody seems to care. They just don't get it. You think they don't see it. You think they don't get it. You think they don't understand. You need comfort. You're getting contempt. You feel left out, unwanted, thrown away, discarded. You feel like trash. Nobody is paying you any attention in your hardship or in your suffering. You're abandoned. Life will bring hardships, difficulties. Sometimes it is because of what we do, and sometimes it is because of what other people do. But life brings hard times. And when you're abandoned, the feelings of abandonment make the effects of those hard times, make the effects of a bad situation even worse. Because if you're going through hard times and nobody comes around you to help you, you really add to those questions. You're really questioning God, you're questioning what you believe about him. You're questioning what you believe about yourself. Even worse, you might actually start to believe that you deserve to be abandoned, that you deserve to be discarded, that you really are trash. So today we're looking at Lamentations 1. Jerry read that for us. I thank him for that. So we're not going to read all those verses again, but I'll draw some attention to some of those verses. You see in your bulletins, you're given a flyer because as Pastor started uh, last week discussing the idea of lament, we are, are entering into a, a series that will lead us into Easter. And the reason we printed off flyers like that was so that you could get a handle on that and know that there are more on the NBC Life Desk. Uh, there, there, there's something about the Easter season that, that uh, we, we're more uh, open 
to hearing about church, to hearing about opportunities, about going to church for Easter, about talking to people about what we're doing for Easter. We thought it would be helpful for you to have something in your hands that you could give somebody. Look at what we're doing now. Uh, we're doing this. We'd, we'd love for you to come join us through this series that takes us up into Easter. And so as we go through Lamentations and, and other uh, passages as well, uh, we thought we would hit some, some, some topics that would be timely, that would help people in whatever it is that they might, going th- might be going through. So Lamentations 1, when you're abandoned. So there we are today because there we see total abandonment in a time of absolute terror. Lamentations records the feelings of someone who believed in God with all his heart, probably the prophet Jeremiah. We're not questioning his theology. We're not questioning his his commitment to God. He believed God with all of his heart. But that belief in God didn't prevent pain. It didn't prevent anguish, suffering. It didn't prevent doubts and uncertainty from coming along with the hardships of life. When the city Jerusalem is destroyed, his faith in God didn't change that there was pain and suffering that went along that, with it. When, when the sacred temple of Jerusalem, its equipment, its utensils, its treasures were being plundered by foreign people, this was the, the temple that, was, that, that, that couldn't be beaten. It didn't stop him from wondering what really is going on. Who is this God that I believe in? When his people, his fellow countrymen, were being murdered and starved. His belief in God didn't stop that from happening and from him experiencing that. And so while we're going through times of anguish and suffering, one of the reasons for the anguish that makes it worse is the abandonment of the surrounding people groups who were supposed to come to aid. For their sake, there were people around them that they had made deals with, that they had made treaties with, that they had made arrangements with. There were people around them that they thought they were, were friends. That when the hardships came to their people, they thought, certainly some, some friends will come to our aid, and they didn't. That made the hard time even worse because they were abandoned in their suffering. So we're talking about abandonment. But please understand that when you mention the words abandonment, sometimes people get the ideas of a very technical, psychological, mental health issues you know, regarding abandonment, regarding very close relationships, spouses, children, and, and that's all real. But, but that's a really technical understanding of abandonment. And today, that's really not my main point. Today, what we're really talking about is the idea that people can feel undesired. People can feel left behind, insecure, unwanted, and that's true for any of us at, at, at any time, at different times in our lives. And so when those times come, what can we do? When you're abandoned, what can we do? First, we'll see, just embrace your abandonment. Just embrace your abandonment. If you're in Lamentations 1, uh, I'm going to reference some verses and uh, you can either follow along or just listen to me. Uh, parts of verses, really. In, in verse 16, it says, A comforter is far from me, one to revive my spirit. Verse 17 says, Zion stretches out her hands. That's the city of Jerusalem. Zion stretches out her hands, but there's none to comfort her. 
Verse 21 says, They heard my groaning, yet there is no one to comfort me. See, sometimes you want people to believe, uh, sometimes you want, you want to believe that people just don't understand. They just don't get it. They don't see my suffering or pain or anguish. They haven't noticed yet, but when they do, they'll come along. My people will come help me. My friends will come help me. I, I believe that when they, when they just understand, I won't be abandoned, they'll, they'll, they'll come help. We want to believe the best. Maybe they didn't notice the problem, but they will. Because sometimes you, you just don't want to believe the truth. They're not coming. They're not here. They're not coming. People let you down. They don't come when they should. And maybe not at all. You can ask for help. But you're alone. See, in this case, what we're looking at is the people noticed. They saw. They did nothing. It wasn't ignorance of the problem. It was people deciding to do nothing to help Israel. And that can happen to any one of us. You can ask, but you're alone. And that's, that in and of itself is a source of its own pain and anguish. Not only is there a difficulty, not only is there a hard time for whatever reasons that you're going through, but compounded, making it even worse and more complicated, is a new source of pain that I thought I had friends to help me and they're not there. They're not ignorant. I told them they're not there. They noticed. I told them. Not only do you have a bad medical report, nobody seems to care. Not only did you lose that job, but everyone asks, asks acts like it was expected. It just goes about their business. Not, not only are your family relationships a mess and you need help from every relationship you can get, but people act like that's just okay and everyone's okay with that. This is what we're embracing. This is what we're understanding. At times, you are alone. And there's nobody there. It's hard to admit. But sometimes, in your great need, you're not just alone by circumstance. You're not just alone because that's just the way it worked out. Sometimes you're alone because they, the ones who were supposed to come to help, rejected you. Not ignored, not didn't notice, rejected you. That's what we're seeing. They've actually rejected you. Verse 21, they are glad you have done it. They're glad you've done it. Who would be glad? Verse 19, I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. Verse 17, Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. A filthy thing. Some translations might say unclean thing. And those words might mean more to you if you were in this ancient context and understood a ceremonially unclean thing that was unfit to be among the people, or unfit to be used for sanctified special spiritual acts of worship and, uh, and, and, and uh, 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 service. But for us, those words don't mean quite as much. Filthy. Unclean. Uh, some of you know that when I was uh, in seminary, I, I worked uh, through seminary in the maintenance department. And so it was glorious. 
And, uh, and so one of the things that we might do, I'm like 21, 22 years old probably, and in the morning we might get in the truck and drive around to the dumpsters at BBC, and uh, they, would, they would overfill because there weren't enough of them. So we would go around, we would grab the boxes, there's always lots of full boxes in there, so we'd grab the boxes, they were empty, so we'd break them down flat, and so then we could lay them on top of the trash, and, and then we'd jump on top of those and squish all the trash down, compact it a little bit, so that would give us more dumpster space until they came and emptied the dumpsters. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's the kind of thing that we, we would do, because if, if we didn't get there in time, the students, <clears throat> in all wisdom, would bring the trash out and if they were getting full, they would instead put the trash on top of the dumpster lid or next to the dumpster or in front of the dumpster. I have no idea what they thought that was going to do, but they would put the trash on the ground around the dumpster. And if we didn't make it in time, the animals would because the animals always knew around the college dorms you could always feast on pizza, popcorn, and ramen noodles. And so they were always going to be in the trash if we didn't get to it in time. So sometimes we'd get out there and we didn't get to it. And so there's trash just strewn around the lawn, around these dumpsters. And we have to go, we just go pick it up. Okay, that was our job. Like I said, it was glorious. It was work. Got me through seminary debt-free. So, so we just go, go, just go pick it up. Just go pick it up. So we get down and we, we pick it up. Oh, that's interesting. So we're picking up people's trash. It's all over. It's usually wadded up papers, you know, some, some little boxes. And, and so we, we pull up to these dumpsters around the girls' dorms. Girls' dorms aren't like guys' dorms. And their trash, their bathroom trash, is not the same as in the guys' dorms. And so we'd be picking up the trash, pieces of paper, all right, this little, you know, wadded up pieces of paper, towels, and little discarded boxes of whatever. And, and this, here's this rolled up, what is it? Oh, my good Lord. really necessary, Pastor. That's kind of pretty close to what the meaning of these words is in the passage. You're feeling not just alone, discarded, yuck, gross, unclean. Not that you have this thing. You are this thing that is unclean, and nobody wants to touch you. This is the language of lament in this chapter. Abandonment. I'm alone. We're alone. No one is coming. They've rejected me. This admission that you've been rejected by people in your life is the beginning of understanding abandonment. We have to understand it. Because once we get to this feeling, the understanding this is a feeling that we have, this is what's going on, we can begin to understand the abandonment a little bit better. So we embrace the abandonment. Now understand your abandonment. After admitting your situation, that there's no one left. We begin to realize, who am I admitting this to? Here's the prophet, here's us talking about our problem, talking about our abandonment. Since there's no one there, who are we talking to? We understand our abandonment that, that when there's nobody there, we're actually still talking to the only one still listening. Turn your attention to God. There's nothing like having nobody around that forces us to turn our attention to God. Verse 20 says, Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns. My heart is wrung within me. So after all, you know, while it seems like the prophet is shaking his head, saying, I can't believe this. 
God, I don't believe this. I cannot believe this is really what you're going to do with my people. Who is he really talking to? He's talking to God. He's being honest with God. Be honest with God. He didn't say, well, my theology says that God has made promises for the future and that we're going to go through hard times, but he's going to call us back together to this land. I I know that, you know, God has good things, positive things uh, planned for me, and so I'm just going to kind of act like this didn't happen. I'm just going to get over it. I'm just going to ignore it. I'm just going to let this bad thing pass by. The prophet said to God, everything is terrible. I'm being honest. This is awful. This is horrible. He didn't need to dress up the language. He didn't need to express everything there was to be true about his theology. He just expressed what was going through right now. This was a disaster. And so he expressed it to the only one that was left listening. Tell your anguish to God. Tell your suffering and your abandonment to God. No need to dress up the language. God's not scared. God won't be put off by how you feel. He knows how you feel. So telling him is just honesty. Just be honest with God. He doesn't mind. He wants it. But, and this is big, and this is important. Because when we turn our attention to God, and we start talking to him, finally, about the things that it is that are really disastrous to us, we start talking to him, we t- talking to him, we turn our attention to God, and we might just start to see things from his perspective. Like it or not, once we start talking to him, we're going to be starting to see things from his perspective. Verse 17 again says, The Lord, <clears throat> the Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors should be his foes. This is, the, this is the spot you stop and say, what did I just read? Let me go back and see that again. The Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors should be his foes. All those people who abandoned you, all those people who treated you like yuck, filth, who rejected you, who turned their backs on you, were moved by the hand of God to turn against you. God's fault. What? That's not better. (laughs) Well, it's not the only word on the matter. But any biblical understanding of the events of our lives have to include this, that God is in control, that God has his reasons, that he's a part of these things, even if they feel really, really bad at those times. And one of those reasons for feeling abandoned is to make us realize who we're relying on versus who we should be relying on. Why would God turn those people away? I was relying too much on them. You see, it's, it's not about getting to that point where you say, well, I guess I just can't trust people. I guess, you know what, people let you down. I guess, I guess you just can't trust them. That's not the bottom line here. That's not what God's getting at. What he's getting at is, you know, yeah, maybe you can trust people, maybe not, but you shouldn't be going to them first. First and foremost, you go to God. That's what he's getting at. If we too quickly turn to other people for our own well-being, other people for support, for help, if we too quickly turn to other people first, God might just take them away from us. That's his place. 
Don't look for a group hug when you need a God hug. You ever, you ever, uh, married people, you ever been in that, you know, in that hug with your spouse, uh, just a, a, a nice intimate moment, and, and, and it feels really great, and then one of the little kiddos, you know, comes along, and they want in on the deal? You know, they, they, it's like, uh, they're going to wedge them, themselves in on that, because, hey, this is great, so they, they're in there, like, group hug, and, and, and they want a part of that, okay, that's, that's, it's very cute, and it's endearing, and, and it's nice, okay? You ever tell them No. You ever be a part of that embrace with, with the spouse and the kid comes on and you're like, nope. Nope. This one's not for you. For whatever reason, it's not romantic. It's just especially supportive time between you and the spouse. And you're like, nope. This one's not for you. Sometimes you don't share hugs. God doesn't share hugs. Not if it means that he's not enough for you. He doesn't share hugs. If our thought is, I need everyone around me and I'll leave God out, God doesn't support that. If your thought is, I need everyone around me and God too, God doesn't even support that. Be careful about turning to everyone else except for God first. You you know those people who are always um, bragging and declaring, I don't care what other people think of me. I don't care what other people think of my actions. I don't, you can't judge me. I, I don't care. I have no regrets. I don't care what anyone thinks. You know they're liars, right? And the ones who are constantly looking for other people to affirm their choice, that they don't care about what other people think, biggest liars, right? They're, they're, the big, they're the biggest liars, right? But, you know, if we're living for the support of a, an affirmation and comfort of a group of people first, then how long will it be before our words and actions aren't just looking for their affirmation, but are designed for their affirmation? Designed to please them. There it is. We craft our lives to please the ones that we want to accept us. We build our lives. We make our decisions. We speak our words to please the ones that we want acceptance from. We care too much about the wrong people's opinions. It's not a godly place to be. It's not a safe place to be. It wasn't safe for ancient Israel. It's not safe for the Christian church today. So here I am. Feeling abandoned, feeling like nobody cares, feeling like nobody doesn't, nobody likes me, discarded, rejected as something filthy before people. I'm talking to God about it because he's the only one left listening. Things have gone terribly. It might be my fault. It might be someone else's fault, but there's nobody to help me, so I'm talking to God about how I feel. I'm starting to understand that he wants my attention. He wants to be the priority in my life, that he is all that I need. I'm talking to him about it. Now what do I do? I'm starting to understand it. What do I do? Redeem your abandonment. I get it. Really, God's the only one that redeems anything. God's the only one who makes things right. But we play a role. We always play a role in, to some extent, in what God is going to do in our lives. And in this case, we see in verse 18, the prophet admitting something, saying, the Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. In verse 20, he says, my heart is wrung within me because I have been very rebellious. 
These are words of confession. Rebellion is serious. Rebellion is deliberate. Ancient Israel's sins were many, and they were directing them, turning them away from the Lord and to the people around them. The people thought that if they chased after the affections of the world over here, that they would be able to get a blessing, that they would be able to manipulate good things in their lives. Chase after the world, get a blessing. God didn't want them to chase after the world to get a blessing. God wanted them to be the blessing to the world. That wasn't going to happen the way they were doing it. They chase after God, he would make them a blessing to those around them. That sounds familiar, right? Chase after the world, try to find your life in the world and lose it. Chase after Jesus Christ, find it, find your life, be a blessing to those around you. So, we follow after this pattern, and we see there comes a time that, that God is forcing me to be alone with him so that I can confess my sin. Confess your sin. It may be that you're ordering your life around, around the wrong people that he needs to take away from you. It may be a number of things that need confe- to be confessed. And it might be that abandonment is just one of the symptoms of that. Confess your sin to God. Time out for just a second, because I want to come back to this idea. I understand that, some ab- uh, that there is some abandonment that has nothing to do with you. And I, and I understand that as I'm talking about confess your sins in dealing with abandonment, that there might be someone here feeling like, wow, I came here for comfort today and he's blaming me. I don't want to do that. I don't want you to feel like we're trying to heap shame and blame onto somebody because uh, after they did nothing wrong and feel abandoned. I understand that there is some abandonment that has little or nothing to do with you. I don't want that to be your feeling. Some people are genuinely victims of other people's actions that had nothing to do with them. And I know that especially in some uh, situations for children who, who who, who deal with parents who've left it's not their fault. They didn't do anything wrong for that. There are some instances where, uh, with husband-wife relationships, somebody just splits. You know, usually, you know, my theology says there's always two, two sides to a story, but I understand it's true that sometimes abandonment has nothing to do with you, and if you need to talk to someone about bigger, deeper issues than just where, where we're at in Lamentations chapter 1, please, please do that. We're, n- we're not going to keep shame on someone for feeling abandoned because something bad happen to you. That's not what we're trying to do. It's not really the main idea of where we're going today. But sometimes when we're feeling abandoned, we have to take a good look at our own lives and say, is there sin there? And we have to confess it. And even if it's somebody else's sin, we can't cover that up either. Because I know that we desperately want to say, oh, that's just them. Oh, they just didn't know. I'm just going to get over it. That's just, you know what? Sin is sin. And whether it's ours or somebody else, we, we have to admit that's what it is before we can take any more steps toward God. That's what it is. And whether it is our sin or somebody else's sins that is causing these feelings of abandonment, part of this point is still going to be the same, and that's that God's still in control, God's still working a plan. Even if it's somebody else that did wrong, he's still working a plan for you. He still wants you. And if it's your sin that is causing this disaster, if it's your sin that needs to be confessed, it's causing you abandonment, God still wants you. He still has a plan for you. There's not many verses of hope in Lamentations. But there are some. There are a few. 
And because there, there are few, they are very, very special. Chapter 3, I'll read them for you. Chapter 3, verse 25, 26. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Sometimes we wait. Uh, chapter 3, verse 31 and 32. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. There is compassion. There is forgiveness for those who call on the Lord. There might be waiting. There might be feelings of being alone there might be prolonged suffering and anguish, but there is forgiveness. There is compassion and mercy and hope for those who call on the Lord. God never yet turned his back on you. God never will turn his back on you. He reserved that for someone else. Matthew 27, verse 46 the day that Jesus was crucified, about the ninth hour, hanging on the cross after crucifixion by the Romans, he cries out with a loud voice saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows abandonment. He knows it more than we do. His abandonment was total and undeserved. It was for us and the ones that we love. It was for us and the ones who've hurt us. The Father turned away from Jesus on that cross so that he could turn toward us and embrace us. Edith Schaefer said Jesus went without comfort so that he could send us the comforter. Do you know the comfort that comes from God alone? From standing before God with no one but Jesus Christ to plead our case. He took the blame. He took the abandonment for us and for everyone who's ever done anything to us to clear the way for the Father to embrace us, to accept us. When no one else will, he takes us as his own. One day we'll all stand in the presence of God for eternal judgment. There'll be no one else to help us except Jesus Christ. If we run to Jesus now, he stands with us then. If we run away from Jesus now, he cannot help us then. Everyone will be confronted by God the Father one day. At some point, if we refuse to go to him, God will be our confronter. We will stand before God in some way, in some time, in some form. We'll be confronted by God. If we put him off, we'll eventually find ourselves before him alone. If we go to him now, if we go to him first, he comforts us, strengthens us, Yes, if we've never trusted Jesus Christ for salvation, we stand before him, before the throne, with no one for eternal judgment. If we have placed our trust in Jesus Christ for, for our salvation, 
and we're still refusing every now and then to go to him to confess, to, to take comfort, to find acceptance. If we're not going to him now, he, we will still find ourselves alone in this Christian life, being confronted by God. Go to Jesus first. He gives us strength. He comforts us. He gives us renewed, revived sense of purpose that we go from wherever it is that we're at into this life to serve a purpose for reasons that God has to be a part of his team. So how is God the first comforter? Because the end of all of this is to move God from final comforter to final confronter to first comforter. Move God from final confronter because that's what he will be. Move him to first comforter He'd rather be that instead, and so would we. How do we do that? How is God first comforter? Put your trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. He forgives us and sends us the Holy Spirit, who is called the Comforter, to live with us. The Comforter, God himself, lives with us. When we know Jesus Christ alone, when, we've, when, we've, when we have abandoned all other comfort in human life to Jesus Christ alone, he comforts us with that which can never be taken away from us. God is first comforter if we go to him every day, praying to him, talking with him, being honest about our feelings, listening to him as we read his word to get his understanding of life, of our lives, of everyone else, of whatever it is that's going on in the world. We go to him every day to have the talk, to have that time with him. And he gives us his perspective. We start to think like him about everything, about life, about trials. God is first comforter if we're designing our lives to look like Jesus. If we're designing our lives, if we're crafting our words and our actions to please him, God is first comforter because we'll be way less affected by acceptance of the world. We'll be way less affected by rejection of the world. So move God from final confronter to first comforter. Now let me just finish up with this. Sometimes it's okay to ask those doubt questions. Hey, don't we all really need the comfort of other people sometimes? It sounds like you're saying we should just be rugged individual with need for no one, nobody, just you and God. Don't we all need human comfort sometimes? Yes, absolutely. Of course we do. We'd be inhuman if we didn't. That's not the point. Of course we do. Don't need my permission for it. That's just the way that God wants to surround us with good, godly people. But the testimony of the Bible is this. This is kind of one of those interesting ideas about how we serve one another. Testimony of the Bible is this. It's not that God's people should be demanding comfort from other people, but that we should be giving it to people who need to see God better today. Well, wait a second, you know, if, if, if some people give it, don't other people need it? Yeah, it's science, okay, but, but God's commands are like this. Believers, you're not called to constantly be taking comfort from other people. You're called to be giving it to other people. You're to be the comfort to other people. And you can only do that if God is your comforter. In a moment, we're going to pray, and then we're going to sing, and when we sing, if there's some thoughts, some feelings, 
some difficulty on your hearts and minds and you want to step forward and speak with me during that song time or speak with some others. There's always some, some men and some ladies who are available to, to talk with you or to pray with you during that song time. They'll be here. Please, don't wait. Don't hesitate. What if you do? After the close of the service, some people will, will hang around if you wanted to come forward and just talk with a friend. Sometimes you're alone, but you don't have to be today. There are some believers who want to comfort and to bring hope and to pray with you today. During the song time, after the end of the service time is fine too. And I wanted to introduce you to something new that we're doing uh, uh, starting today, and we'll be doing uh, in some weeks following this as well. We have uh, another way to ex- extend our invitation to you. And if you wanted to uh, uh, speak with, just through, through way of texting the, the speaker today, that's me, uh, you can do that. There's a number there on the screen which you can use to text message. It's nobody's personal number, okay? But you can be assured that if you text that number, it will shortly go to the pastor. Today it's me. Next week it'll be P- Pastor Mark. And you can use that number if that's your way of responding to the invitation. Having maybe a text prayer or a thought or a concern that you wanted to express to us, we'd love to keep the conversation going even after the close of the service and later today. So that number is there now. You can, it'll, be, it'll be there at, at the close of the service as well.